Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. It is Sunday, February 18th. We're coming at you a little shorthanded today because I have to go to work. But uh, Richie is prepared. Do not worry. And we are doing my breakout pitchers. So I can basically wake up and sit down. We can start this today. But Richie, what is going on, buddy? Not much. I got a little bit of extra time uh, during Kenna's first nap. So I got to do a little bit of extra prep work. So. Yeah, hopefully I can take a little bit of the load off of you. And um, yeah, so we're wait, we're on the second nap of the day already. Is that right? Yes, we are doing this during the second nap of the day. So oh, I love that. Yeah, usually we we record when she's down and out for the night. So um, a little switch up, a little switch up here. I love that. I love that. I know what that's like in about a year and a half here myself. Yeah. So uh, all the joys of trying to you know live life while you're child naps or you know your wife doesn't yeah. yell at you just for just for warning you will um be on a five to six nap schedule in the beginning so it'll be lots fun. of melatonin i think in their food is the key you know just <laughs> yeah just inject that in. right into the breast um <laughs> all right <clears throat> breaking the show down today we are going to talk a little bit about the signing period that rob manford came out and addressed this past week and the desire for Major League Baseball to interject a signing period into uh, a CBA moving forward. We were talking a little bit about maybe Tim Anderson with Merrifield. Where's Tim Anderson headed with Merrifield with the Phillies? And then we're going to break down my breakout pitchers for 2024. Again, when, we, when I say breakout, we're really highlighting the fact that I, I like these guys or Richie likes these guys. They already could have had big breakouts, but kind of cementing themselves as top pitching prospects or rising from wherever their current threshold in tier rankings is per the position. And normally we talk college today. We're unfortunately not going to do that just because we are short on time. Um, we did have a couple big performances. Richie, it's Petri or Petrie for Pe South Petri, Carolina? Ethan Petri. Petri, Petri yeah. Yep. Two home runs so far. Honeycutt, two home runs. Kurtz Homer. Uh, Burns dominated. I think that's about all I've got for you on the college front. We we will be doing a much deeper um, analysis each week, at least to give you what happened in the week. But again, first first couple of games of college baseball kicked off this weekend. Um, other than Wake Forest looking great. Anything you want to note? No. Um, so far, it's been as advertised, as expected. Mm -hmm. Um, we're only, I think three games in started on Friday, kicked off just a couple days ago. So it's nothing crazy right now. Um, I think Ethan Petrie is going to get huge hype yep. this season going into next. He's, he's a 2025, um, candidate to go one, one overall. So a name that we won't be targeting in redraft or dynasty leagues, unless you're open universe, um, you won't be hearing much about him for a little bit. I feel like we're going to have the same stamp on him at the end of 2024 as we had of Kurtz in 2023. Yep, I'm expecting it's similar. Kind of like a foregone conclusion. I did think it was funny with Honeycutt. I watched his home run from yesterday. He was 0 for 4 in the game and then hits the home run. And I was like, this is like kind of his profile. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're playing a team that isn't that great. And I get that pitching is, is different. This isn't, you know, D2 football versus D1, but when I was watching the highlight, I was just like, yeah, that's uh, very fitting of your profile. <laughs> but um, all right. So MLB has talked this week, Rob Manford in particular, about Major League Baseball introducing a free agent signing period. 
concept that he basically constructed said in, you know, Lemon's terms, we'd like to have a deadline. You know, free agency starts first week of December, ends day before Christmas or day before New Year's Eve. And sounds great as fans, sounds great for us. And sounds really bad for the players. Again, Major League Baseball players are union employees. Uh, they're part of the union. And this does take away a little bit of their power. But the reason I wanted to bring it up today, Richie, is because we are going into 2024 spring training with Cody Bellinger, uh, Montgomery, Blake Sedal, just a few names listed on top of Tim Anderson, who we're going to talk about here in a minute. What do you think of the concept of a signing period? And are you in favor of it or are you not in favor of it? Yes and no. I am in favor of having a period where you can sign but it has to be done by the time pitchers and catchers report, at least for pitchers. And by the time spring training starts, batters should be um, signed. Now, that, that's hard because what if you don't negotiate during that time and you miss out? Now you're stuck without a team. So I think it should open back up as soon as the season begins, but it's closed off from the time pitchers and catchers report to the time spring training's over, and then it reopens. So you at least have that period. The teams understand what they're going into the season with, and those players can ramp up exp uh, as they normally would, especially for those pitchers. I think it's significant. Now I'm looking at Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. They haven't reported because they don't have a team. I think this is ultimately going to start pushing them back a week, two weeks, three weeks, who knows. So whichever team they end up on, I think you, you can't expect them to be fully built up, at least for those first couple starts. So whichever team they end up with, I think they're going to end up with like three, four innings for their first couple starts because they're just not built up yet. Yeah, well said. Um, I agree. And I think the best conversations I've heard in regards to this topic list both the pros and cons pros being yes it's great for the fans it creates a lot of momentum these players are on their team start of the new year you know they can integrate in they can really start to become a part of the franchise the franchise can market them but there's also not as many benefits for the players and part of the negatives that i have heard is that you play your first six or seven years through your rookie contract your arb years and then you finally get to free agency. And those that are good enough to finally get to free agency and stay in the league have earned that right. And putting this in place really takes a lot of that leverage away from them and hands it over to essentially the operating teams and the executives because at the end of the day, executives are going to wait until, let's say, December 30th at 11 p.m. And they're going to say, okay, are you ready to sign now? Here's what I'm offering you. And the other team's going to do the same thing. So where you maybe could have made $80 million over four years, now you're getting 60 And I think in a real, like, a, a nice world, we would think that things would still be fair, but it's not. At the end of the day, it's leverage. And that's where it's disappointing because it doesn't have to be that way. But because it's business and because it's money, they will always use it as leverage. And I also think it's unrealistic because we are in a CBA. You know, you, we have a union and we have ownership organization. There is absolutely no way a union would ever go for this. And that's what's also disappointing is that when you're talking about negotiating in, in uh, good faith and um, operating in the best product that can be out there and just protecting your players, it's just not how things are working in most union houses anymore. But I did really like the idea. 
And I thought it was fun for Manford to put out there because he knows it's never going to happen, at least not in the next five years of his term before he's done in 2029. The only thing I'll say on this before we move on is all of these big free agents are all Scott Boras clients. Mm -hmm. And he's notoriously been known to wait until the very last second to get these deals done. If it's not for Scott Boras, I think these guys are signed. And I think he's juicing it for everything he can and more power to you. But if they sign for 95% of what they normally would get, is that extra 5 million um, on a five-year deal? Is it really going to make or break you if you're making a hundred million? You're like, okay, I really want 105 million and we're not going to sign for three months until I get that extra 5 million. I don't know. I don't make that kind of money. So, I mean, they have signed Scott Boris for that exact reason, right? That's, right. that's what he's known for. And we kind of talked about that with uh, Pete Alonzo, you know, him, him going to Boris now as he enters into his final year of the contract. Like, okay, we know what Pete wants. Pete wants money. Yeah. And I get it. I, I, not that they shouldn't, but who it really matters for is Scott Boris and his agency. Because if it's $5 million over the course of, let's say, five players, right? Here it's three prominent players right that's interjected in at 20 percent. that's 20 million dollars that's five million uh four million dollars five million four sorry yeah, you're it's good. early for you're me good. math is bad four million the, for four, his 20 four million right and that's a lot of money for his agency that is insane if you think about it that just off those players he's making four million dollars right yeah just off the extra five um so I would really like to see teams just say, we're not, if you're represented by Scott Boris, don't call us. You're not like, we aren't even considering you and, and just make it a really hardball offer. And he has dominated major league baseball for so long. And I, and I think he's done a fantastic job. It's just, you take a risk by choosing him as your agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, you make a great point. It is really a Scott Boris issue right now. Um, and if you're interested in that, I'm actually doing a story on that on the other podcasts Ooh. later this week, which I will probably not be as prepared as I would like to be since I'm working today. <laughs> but let's get into it, Richie. Uh, a couple news and notes before we do our pitchers. Tim Anderson might be going to Miami. You had told me that just yesterday. I think it was. I was hoping for Los Angeles. You brought up another really good team in Tampa, which I also thought there was a fit for. What are your uh, what are your ears hearing, and what do you think of Tim Anderson's perspectives in Miami? Yeah, uh, on the MLB hot stove, there was I think it was two days ago. Uh, Miami officially sent an offer to Tim Anderson, undisclosed what it exactly was, how many years, how many million, but they have a hole. Miami does, so he'd be a great fit for there. Tampa Bay losing Wander Franco currently is going to have Jose Caballero unless they want to move Junior Caminero over to short, which I don't think he'd be a great defender there. Yeah, you get his bat in there, but they also have a hole at short. You wanted him to go to the Dodgers. They currently, I think, are projecting Gavin Lux, I believe, to play there, but he doesn't offer as much offensively as Tim Anderson as far as a hit tool, and I think Tim Anderson has a better defensive tool, so a slight upgrade, but nothing crazy. Gavin Lux, Tim Anderson, I don't think are going to provide much power, so I do think Tim Anderson signs somewhere. I just don't know where yet. Yes, and I'm I'm very invested here. I have him in a couple deep leagues where I, I need I need the uh, at bats, I need the games, and it is also interesting because he's coming off the shoulder, big down year last year. 
obviously narrative being spun that, you know, maybe he's lost his ability to hit for exit velocity. I am more under the impression the shoulder really messed him up. Almost the same thing as Marcelo Meyer. That shoulder might just have completely cost it to be a, a down year. But we will see. Last news to note that we have of the day is Whit Merrifield to the Phillies. I really like this. I think this is an opportunity for him to be a super U, outfield, infield, interject a little bit of speed as he gets a little bit older into that Philly uh, lineup when he's playing. And just another veteran presence piece. What do you think of Merrifield to the Phillies? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I think this is more a veteran presence. Try to get the locker room under command when they're in those high leverage, high pressure situations. But I don't think there's much here for fantasy wise. And I don't think he really is a threat to anybody um, offensively. So yeah, overall, I like the the yes. signing there, but nothing crazy. Last piece I have for us, kind of throwing it off the just top of my head here, Bryce Harper, I did see as I woke up today, um, just a small conversation that he had had talking about his acceptance of first base as it currently stands, as well as looking to renegotiate a longer deal with Philadelphia. So it looks like Bryce Harper will be a, a Philly for life at this point um, outside of his tender in Washington, D.C., but it will be interesting to see you know, what that new contract looks like because I do think he had signed right before this avalanche of larger um, annual value contracts. And I do think he's worth it. And if he's going to be a first baseman, I'm actually okay investing in Bryce Harper more in Dynasty than I would have been because I think he will age into his late 30s better than most players. And if he's locked up on a deal, he, he's not a player I'm as concerned about with motivation as other players that have already been paid. What are your quick thoughts on that? Um, regarding the extension, I don't think money is that much of an issue for him. He already has the the mega deal set in place with Philly. So it just seems like he wants to end his career in Philly. So good for him. Love to see that. As far as him staying at first base, we'll see. I, I'd prefer him to be in the outfield just because it is so shallow these days. But as far as a longevity piece, dynasty angle, yeah, it's much better for him to stay at first. He can continue and uh, – produce a much longer at first base rather than the outfield so agree with you on those yeah. points and i and i might just i might be wrong about this but i just feel like the wear and tear on the body is less at first oh absolutely right over every given season and if you're at first at 31 32 all the way through 34 33 you know let's just say he plays into his you know early to mid 40s because i think he could I think that buys them a year or two. Yeah. And that's a lot in Dynasty, as we know, with how leagues rise and fall. So I thought that was good news. I'll follow that a little bit more. Uh, I want to dive into it a little bit more this week. But let's get into our breakout pitchers. And we have one more for you. You were very disappointed. You forgot this individual. Yeah. He's been a favorite of ours in draft season. He was a guy that you had brought up to me during the Major League draft this last year. Uh, that's Tra Travis Sikora. Fell in the draft. Uh, was supposed to go to Texas. He was a Texas commit. Always love to hear that. Texas has obviously produced some very, very good pitchers. Not necessarily as of recent, but legacy pitchers, if I am correct. Roger Clemens was a Texas guy. Uh, but Richie, tell us about Travis Sikora, why you like him, and what you're projecting. Yeah, Travis Sikora was projected to go much earlier than he did he ultimately went in the third round 71st overall he ultimately signed for 2.6 million which 
if you're not familiar with that, that comes out to about like top 35 money. So just inside the first round, um, maybe a, a comp pick. Um, but what I really liked is his grades that MLB gave him a 70 grade fastball continuously hits 101, but normally sits 98, 99. He's got an amazing slider at 55 grade and his splitter is phenomenal at a 60 grade. But what I really like about him is one, he comes from Texas. So baseball is known to breed from Texas. He's also known for his work ethic and pounding the strike zone and getting great command grades even though he only gets a 50 by MLB I would argue it's probably closer to 60 the only thing I'm concerned about is because he throws so hard that does the health become an issue for him but he does have the frame to take on the mechanics and the workload that he has 6'6 232 he's only 19 so I really like Travis Sikora the potential is I hate to say it but like Jacob deGrom level like he could be the best um, but there's just so much unknown. There's nothing, there's no statistics. He hasn't pitched yet since he's been drafted. So I'm very curious. There's a lot of outcomes that could be happening for Sycor in his first year, but I will be watching him very closely. Yeah. And, and for me, his outcome is, uh, I will say a Paul Skeens level profile, mm-hmm. a guy that could have gone to college, could have been the number one player as a junior coming out from the pitching ranks. And I think the the floor is obviously never making Major League Baseball, but I think more realistically is a Jackson Rutledge. Similar uh, body type. Rutledge went to college, if I remember correctly, had some arm issues. And we're going to hopefully finally see here in 2024 him kind of put it all together. I think he's probably a name we'd both agree with that would, would be a dark horse sleeper for not necessarily a breakout but it's kind of the start of an emergence. And that 6-6 frame is just something you can't teach. No. You talked about the 70-grade fastball. You're going to obviously have added strength and added velocity because of that frame. The, the splitter is huge. Um, and then having the slider. You know, we were going to touch on Hunter Green possibly adding a splitter. It's almost like Cora's already got it. And we're already seeing what that's doing for Bryce Miller. If, and if you haven't, jump on Twitter because... That's a huge piece of the arsenal when you already have the fastball slider. It's just that third pitch that might be able to turn you into a dominant pitcher. And yeah, I love Sykora. I know you and I both have been trying to get him where we can in first-year player drafts or in startups because I think he is, outside of some of the names we're going to talk about today that were first or second round guys out of high school, he was the jewel I think had he been taken in the second round, there would be a lot more buzz around him. Yeah, absolutely. So let's keep him hidden, the diamond in the rough, and (laughs) you and I can get as many shares of him as we can. I don't know if there's anything hidden anymore. (laughs) I feel like uh, now that we've ventured into the territory we have, it's, you know, every rock has been unturned. Um, We have one for you today, though. I think that may may not be unturned yet. But all right, we're going to break into mine. And I'm going to let you break them down today. Um, you know, we know these players, I think, just as well as one another. And I, I think really we do like almost all the same players. Players that you had last week would have been on my list. I'm sure players I have today would have been on your list. But we're going to start off with mine. And my first is going to be Bubba Chandler for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 6'2", 200 pounds, 21 years old, going into his 22 season. Um, in 2021, he was a third-round pick, 72 overall. Very similar to Sycora's story here, a $3 million signing bonus. So, you know, he is a couple years ahead of Sycora's development. Um, at the time, he was a two, two-way player. A lot of high school kids are. 
mid-90s fastball that reaches 99. His 2023 stats, 111 innings, so nice. We can probably project him for 130, 140 this year. 128 strikeouts, 51 walks, a 4.54 ERA, and a 1.44 whip. What do you have for me on Bubba Chandler? Yeah, when you first put him on this list, and you've talked to me about how you've been targeting Bubba Chandler in all of your dynasty leagues, I was like, why do you like Bubba Chandler so much? One, I'll admit, I was unaware that he continued to be a two-way player for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he just recently last year gave up being a two-way player to focus on being a pitcher. So we talked about this off-air. Reggie Crawford did a similar thing for the San Francisco Giants. When you focus on one position, you can ultimately take off. Look at Cade Horton. That's the example that pops in my head. As soon as you give up the other position and you focus on one side or the other, you can skyrocket and take off. It just shows that you have the talent. If you can be playing offense and defense at a high level, you should be able to continue um, the other side. But what I liked the most when I was looking at Bubba Chandler and why you liked him, and I don't know if this is the reason why you liked him, but I looked at his last eight games of the year. Now, you mentioned he had a 4.54 ERA and a 1.44 whip overall. When you look at it, you're like, man, this guy sucks. Like that, That's that's <laughs> horrible. You look at his last eight games from July 18th on until the end of the year, 43 two-thirds innings, 43 strikeouts, only 13 walks, and a 1.85 ERA. That screams breakout to me, and it just shows that he's ready to take the next leap after giving rid of hitting. And as a full pitcher, I'm expecting him to take off. Yeah, and I'm I'm hearing people in the industry like peg him as potentially the number one pitching prospect coming into 2025, and I think that's aggressive because we will have Andrew Painter still. We will have a couple other names that we'll talk about today after all of our graduations, but it really was the July on that caught my attention. We know we know what Jackson Job did last year in the second half into the Arizona Fall League. And Job isn't on either of these lists because Job is a he's a bona fide prospect at this point, in our opinions. We are not going to disrespect him with breakouts. Uh, I think we he both expect him to. He did that, yes. Um, but so did Chandler in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, the second half of his season was fantastic. The problem is we need to see him do it at double A. We need to see him do it at triple A. And the walks are just not in the same you know threshold as Job's because Job's were otherworldly. But a one eight five. ERA is enough to get me really excited. And I, again, I'm trying to buy where I can. Again, these rocks have been unturned for a lot of people because the name is getting buzzier and, you know, us talking about him doesn't help. But I think Chandler is a fantastic chance to be the number two in this rotation with Paul Skeens. And this could be an incredible rotation, one, two, fire punch at the top and really changing the way this organization has been viewed. And this could be another piece in the puzzle with how they develop pitchers. If Chandler can can push through and be this number two, this high-end number two for a major league team, that's a number one in fantasy rotations as well. So Chandler's amazing. Love him. Really excited to watch him in 2024. And next time on the list is going to follow in the same narrative here. It's going to be a 2023 major league uh, first-round pick. That's Noble Meyer for the Miami Marlins. 6'5", 185, 19 years old. So he is young. Again, coming out of high school, 10th overall. He's rated 6th prospect by Major League Baseball um, coming into the draft. Uh, excuse me, 8th prospect by Major League Baseball coming into the draft. Big fastball. 
uh, can reach 100. Obviously, we're probably going to see him come to the minors and as he develops, be 96 to 98 as he continues to, you know, ramp up those innings and stretch himself out even more. Fastball grade comes in at a 60, slider at a 55, changeup at a 50, control at a 50. These are high school grades. Those are good high school grades. Tenth overall should tell you really all you need to know about the pedigree that we're expecting. But I view Noble Meyer as a very, very good candidate of this high school class in 2023 to be a Jackson Job profile, a guy that rises fast once he puts it together. You know, it, it's almost as if he becomes a top five pitching prospect overnight, like Job did. And I think out of all the guys in this class, Noble Meyer would be the one that I would feel the most confident of having a similar profile. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. From going from the prep angle, this is very similar to Jackson Job, Dylan Lesko a few years ago. So I'm in agreement with you there. You look at what he did in his pro debut, 11 innings, 15 strikeouts, seven walks, 4.09 ERA, 1.64 whip. Not the greatest, but it's a very small sample size only across two different outings. But when you look at what he did in high school, over 70 innings, 142 strikeouts. That's two strikeouts per inning. That's nuts. 0.51 ERA. So, I mean, he's got the pedigree. He's got everything that you're looking for. I expect him to take off. He was going to be on my breakout list last week, but I know you love him way more than I do. So I had to give you, give you, give you Noble Meyer. Well, and we talk about this a lot. It's organizational too. The Miami Marlins select a pitcher out of high school with a good pedigree, good stature, right? 6'5", a body to grow into at 185. The overall expectation for me is absolutely go get him. It's an organization that I trust to develop pitchers. We saw Yuri Perez come up at 19th this past year. We've seen Sandy Alcantara come over from the Cardinals and turn into a Cy Young winner. And the names go on and on and on. And they've had their injuries within the organization, but so does every team that continues to pump out pitchers as their number one priority. And I just happen to think that Noble Meyer will fall more in the Sandy Alcantara, Yuri Perez classification. And what's fun about Noble as well is he is going to be a more power pitcher than Sandy and Yuri are. You know, you have more of the control and more of the deception, uh, more of the spin from Yuri as well as Sandy. I think with Noble, you're going to have your your horse. And as Sandy comes back from Tommy John, I think Noble Meyer, if we're projecting a 2028 rotation, uh, maybe we'll say 2027 just because I think Sandy's last year is seven. But I think it's Noble Meyer. I think it's Sandy Alcantara, Yuri Perez. I think Noble Meyer is the number one pitcher in this rotation when he hits peak performance. Yeah, I think he could be, I mean, his ceiling is higher than anybody in that organization and the Marlins just do a great job. So yeah, I love his situation. I love everything about him. So next name, I think we're now getting into the guys that you and I have really dug for. And at least I have fallen completely in love with Ty Floyd. He's going to be the next name on our list. 6'2", 200 pounds, 22 years old, coming out of LSU. He was a comp pick 38th overall by the Cincinnati Reds. 60-grade fastball, 55 sliders, 50 curve, 50 changeup, 45 control. Had Tommy John, so it's already out of the way. 94 miles per hour, can hit 97, so he's not going to blow you away, but it's enough velocity where I'm really comfortable with him. Big takeaway that I have is don't love the placement with the ballpark in Cincinnati, but I do like the development we have seen with Cincinnati 
Andrew Abbott being most recent. You have Nick Lodolo and you have Hunter Green obviously ahead, Graham Ashcraft as well. So you know that if um, you know the cutter is floating around the organization, right? That's something that I think is really big as well, especially for a guy like Floyd that may not throw as hard as Ashcraft. But I think Ty Floyd is my number one sleeper in this draft to provide possibly top 30 SP upside at peak performance. The LSU pedigree is huge. I think in a lot of other drafts where we don't have as much high-end pitching talent, we could have been talking about Ty Floyd in the classification of maybe best pitcher taken. But I also love the fact that Cincinnati paired him up with another first-round pick, uh, who name eludes me at the Red moment. Red it? Yep, there we go. Um, we could be talking about a really, really fun Cincinnati rotation of Lodolo, Green, um, Floyd, as well as, again, Louder. help me out. Louder. Louder. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> and Louder should be on our list as well. He He's just, he's for me, he's kind of caught in the middle. Like he's not, um, he's not unturned enough to have a conversation about, but he also hasn't had enough uh, minor league experience to really get us really super excited. But I think Lauder and Floyd, Lauder and Floyd have a really good chance at being awesome two threes or three fours in this rotation with Green and Lodolo. And I, again, I, I think this could be really exciting for Floyd, especially in points. I like for both those two pitchers to provide wins and quality starts because you have a really fun, exciting young offense. Only downside again is I think for Floyd, you could be really looking at a four year at the major league level or downside. You could be looking at a middle relief setup, man. Yeah. The thing I like about Floyd is just his strikeout rate. He gets phenomenal grades on his big spin and movement. I don't have exactly what the RPMs are on those, but I think his fastball, as far as we talk about stuff plus and those numbers matter. So when you look at velocity, you have to take into account their spin and movement on those. I think he's going to be at the top as far as fastballs go. And you definitely want to see that he's got above average grades. He's got a slider a curve, a change so he can go any direction on you. He needs to con uh, get his control up. Um, and what really stuck out to me was his 17 strikeouts and in nine innings during the world baseball classic or uh, world baseball series, I should say. And that's what really popped out for me with Ty Floyd. So I love the ceiling. I'm just worried about the floor and I'm just concerned about what he looks like when he comes back from TJ. So we'll just have to see, but I do like Ty Floyd a lot. Just not as much as you do. Was the, um, was the 17 strikeouts in the, uh, the college world series? Yes. College world series. Yeah. Well, and I wish, I really wish I had, I had been in, more interested in college baseball last year, you know, as we've talked about and, you know, we started the show off with, we will be more engaged this year and I will be watching more games, especially the College World Series. And I, I feel like I'd have a real different opinion on some of these guys coming out of LSU and this year, Wake Forest, because watching them live really does change everything. It's a little different than watching the the highlight tapes of these kids. And yeah, the control is a problem, but you know, Waldrip really has changed my opinion on control in a lot of ways. I really think if you have the stuff coming out of college, major league teams can help you figure out the control and that might be the wrong evaluation, but I'm going to go with that and see where it leads. Um, and it's funny because the next guy falls in a very similar profile here. And that's Grant Taylor for the White Sox second round pick this past year, 51st overall ranked 102 as a prospect by Major League Baseball, 6'3", 230, 21. Had Tommy John in 23 after switching from the bullpen to a starter. 
So reading up a little bit more on him last night and everything was looking fantastic. And then he got hurt. Um, so we're going to really have to see if it was just a matter of time, if it was a ramp up, if it was, you know, poorly being stretched out or this or that, but Grant Taylor for the White Sox, I thought was a really great pick in the second round after Floyd was already off the board after Lauder was gone. Um, if after Soto was gone as well. And I think there's an opportunity for number two upside in a rotation at the major league level. The problem is I think the variance level here is much higher. You have him put in as a potential closer, and I think that's absolutely a great case. Um, 60-grade fastball, 60-grade cutter I'm looking at. Is that correct? correct, Okay. Uh, 55 slider, 55 curve. So you have a deeper arsenal than Floyd has already like that from the starting profile, and then 50 control. So a notch above Floyd, but control is still an issue with Taylor. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think he's got the pedigree. I think he's got the stuff to be a frontline closer or starter, I should say. It just comes down to health. He's was known to be in the bullpen. They stretch him out as a starter and boom, he gets Tommy John. It reminds me of my feelings uh, that I have for Michael King and Cole Reagans this year, both relievers that are stretched out to be yep. starters coming this year. And we haven't talked much at the MLB front, but I'm not touching Michael King or Cole Reagans and redraft this year because I don't believe that they can get past a hundred innings without getting hurt. Cole Reagans had two Tommy Johns. Michael King has a slew of injuries when he was a starter. So I don't think that they're built for starters workload. I'm kind of getting the same vibes towards Grant Taylor. I think he has a mid reliever, high leverage and potentially a closer for the White Sox. And he could ascend very quickly because as of right now, the White Sox don't have the greatest uh, bullpen options. They did get Baroa, Baroa, well, who we talked about last week, who I like a lot. But outside of that, they don't have many other guys. They have Garrett Crochet, but they're working him out as a starter too, which I don't think is going to work out for him either. He's coming back from injury. So I think he's ultimately destined for a bullpen role. So I fear a similar path for Grant Taylor but he was at LSU. I love what everything you see in him. That's my only concern is his injury history and other people in the industry, uh, other people in MLB that have gone the similar route as him end up being in the bullpen. And that's what I fear. Yeah. And I think this is a name right now. I know this is a name right now with all the leagues that I've joined this year, that this is a guy that you can go and target. This is a guy that people in first year player drafts haven't been taking. This is a guy that you could really just, you know, go after a, a middle infield for utility depth in your organization for dynasty. And you could toss in Grant Taylor's name and kind of, you know, kick the stones with maybe a secondary or third piece for yourself in that deal. And you could acquire him. And I, I will go out and say, I think this is the name where it could mean nothing and it could really change the face of what you have at, at your starting pitching depth if he hits the way we think he could. And I'm actually going to do this to you yet again, Richie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw another name out here Okay, that is completely not on our list because I want to talk about him, and that's going to be uh, Will Bednar, the Giants' former first-round pick coming out of the University of Mississippi. Uh, Bednar is 6'2", 230. So similar profile as some of the guys that we talked about. His brother is David Bednar, closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Will Bednar had a great pedigree, had a great performance at Mississippi State, has had injuries left and right since joining the Giants organization. His last college season, uh, 2021, he was 9-1 with a 3-1-2 ERA, 19 games, 16 games started, 
92 total innings and 139 strikeouts with a 1.06 whip. I don't really have um, too much analysis I want from you here, Richie. I just want to throw his name out there because he, like Taylor, is another name I think this season is being completely slept on. In my 30-man, 70-round uh, draft, he went undrafted. He is my number one pickup. I think Will Bednar has the the family lineage um, with his brother, and I think his father is a coach as well. We will have to fact check that. But Bednar and Taylor are guys that I can see being number twos in rotations that are not being cared about. So both have similar profiles, though. Bednar could end up like his brother being a closer because of the injury concerns and because at this point he is delayed with development, but only 22 years old. I think you buy now on both of these guys, and I think they probably have the highest upside if you can get 90th percentile outcome. Um, and those are the guys we're looking for. So any thoughts on Bednar? No, um, I think people have forgotten about Will, Will Bednar. Um, actually, I've been following an account, MILB Central, on uh, Instagram. You should follow them if you don't, Matt. Um, but they've been counting down spring training, and they've been going over each overall pick um over the last 10 years so like ooh, seven I love that. like seven days until spring training so they go over all the seventh overall picks and uh they got to will bednar when there was 14 days away from spring training i was just like will bednar i was like that name sounds familiar i was like who is this guy uh he was drafted 2021 14th overall and i was just like oh man i completely forgot about this guy what happened to him and it just hasn't panned out for him i don't know if it's injuries i don't have I'm not prepped for this because you threw it out of left field, but I do feel the same way that he will ultimately end up in the bullpen and not be a starter, but he has a way more pedigree than Grant Taylor does. But then again, Grant Taylor coming off Tommy John, maybe that hurt his stock quite a bit. So I don't know Bednar situation, but I, I would prefer Bednar in a closer role over Grant Taylor at this point. So yeah, I agree. That's a great going, point. Go and get well Bednar point. right now because you can get him a lot cheaper than Grant Taylor because FYPD is the new shiny toy. So getting a second or third round is a lot harder to do than going and picking up a well, Will Bednar who's classified as a bust. Yeah. Um, let's let's look at real quick that account. You said it was MLB Central? MILB Central. MILB Central? Okay. Yeah. That's uh, I'm going to give them a follow as we speak. And you're talking about Twitter? Uh, Instagram. Oh, not the dreaded Instagram. Oh, no. I don't know if I can even do that on the desktop. <laughs> We're going to have to keep this tab I'll open. Text, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take you. Well, I, I have sent you DMs before, but you don't look at my DMs. So. It's funny you say that. As I got off work last night and we were eating in the... You know, staff cafeteria, I was trying to show a coworker a video I had sent you and I was scrolling through and I was like, oh my God, you sent me some really good stuff. <laughs> I do not have the emotional or mental capacity right now to look at any of it. Um, and clearly today I won't as well. So <laughs> we have about 10 minutes before I have to run. So okay. we've got, well, we look like we can do this. Um, we only got like a few more. Let's go to the next name. And how do you want to pronounce this? Burkhard? Are we going Burkhard? I was I was thinking Burchard. Burchard. But... Burchard? Yeah, let's go with Burchard. Burchard. Okay, uh, this is Ryan Burchard, Brewers' fifth-round pick out of a Niagara Community College. Uh, wow, he really went to a small school, and I knew that, but that's really small. In Sanborn, New York, this is a guy we have very little on. Um, I'm bringing him up, and I want him on the list because the Brewers did something similar 
with Jacob Mizoroski. They targeted a guy at a very, very small school that was playing players that, let's be honest, they literally me and you at that age and dominated. Six foot, 207, 20 years old. 2023 stat line, only nine innings, 16 strikeouts, one walk, ERA of one, whip of 3-3. Three, three. I don't have any grades on him. I don't know his arsenal, but I know that this guy could be completely slept on, and he might be a guy in, let's say, four months from now that we're talking about inside Milwaukee's top five organizational prospects after graduations, and he's a fifth-round pick. That's extremely lofty. I think the floor is... He ends up hitting double A, hits a five ERA, and you know, he was just able to dominate poor competition. But Brewers have done a fantastic job identifying hidden gems. And I have to believe they're onto something. Yeah, I've got I've got nothing on him. Whatever you said is what I was able to find as well. So yep. put your faith in the Brewers and what they do as an organization and hope they uncover the next Mizoroski and Corbin Burns. I mean, listen, the nine innings, 16 Ks, that's uh, that's like an average day for me on the show on rookies. So, uh, you know, he falls right in line with what I'm looking for. But again, really deep leagues, a guy that if you're looking to fill organizational depth, I had said to you, I have a I have a 30 man big money salary league that does 100 minor league players. I don't even know how this is going to be possible as waivers go through here in about a week. But he's a guy that I will be targeting, you know, giving you some depth, but also something to dream on. And again, you said it. I said it. Milwaukee's ability to identify talent has been great. But identifying talent is for the next name as well. Jackson Ferris, a name that we really started to like this season as he was with the Cubs organization. And then lo and behold, he goes to the L.A. Dodgers. Traded for Michael Bush. Ferris is 6'4", 195, good frame, body to grow, 20 miles an hour. He's a left-handed pitcher. He was a second-round pick, 47th overall in the 2022 draft. Got a $3 million signing bonus, so he was clearly sought after. And you have a nice note here, outdueled Andrew Painter in high school. So I'm going to want you to talk about that in a minute. 60-grade fastball, 55 curve, 55 changeup, the 45 control that we saw with Floyd as well. So that is of concern. Fastball sits about 92, 95, can touch 97, so there is some groom to grow, as we talked about there. 12-6 curve has great spin rates you have here, so maybe you can touch on that as well. And the comp, I think this is great. I will let you go ahead and say that in a minute. Um, 2023, 56 innings, 77 strikeouts, 33 walks. So the control is an issue. 3.38 ERA, 1.21 whip. Richie, yes. tell me about Ferris. Yeah, Jackson Ferris. He gets comps to Blake Snell based on his mechanics and delivery, um, but he's projected to have a little bit more consistency with how he pitches. He's got an amazing 12-6 curveball with great spin rates. Fastball sits 92-95 but can touch 97. He really got hype as a junior in high school when his first two outings came with a perfect game, and then later in the year he faced Andrew Painter had a better out um, he outdueled Andrew Painter but ultimately lost that game and it ended up being his only loss in high school so comes with the pedigree I'm not saying this guy's the next Andrew Painter the next Blake Snell but the ceiling is there and he should continue to rise being in the Dodgers organization well and lefties develop later than righties right are we in the agreement there yeah uh, we've seen track record wise that's a well-known right. fact yes um and it's like boys and girls but um, love Jackson Ferris. He's another name. Not 
if you were to, oh, if I had to pick him or Bubba Chandler up a month ago, I would have a really hard time. I think right now I'm picking Chandler up, no question. But Ferris is in the same um, ceiling, like bag and, and bucket for me. I think there's so much upside. I think there is number one rotational upside. I don't know that the outcome of that is likely. I think what we're going to see is a really, really solid pitcher, maybe a 3-5, 3-3 peak ERA with a good amount of strikeouts. And you said it, Blake Snell. If the if the Dodgers can get Blake Snell out of Jackson Ferris, we are absolutely thrilled with that outcome, right? I mean, thrilled. Yep. And you're talking about trading Michael Bush for that. So young, controllable, in the organization, 20 years old. Ferris is a name we are falling in love with. And has given us enough numbers to to really be excited. Now, I think also with the Andrew Painter uh, conversation there, it'll be fun because, you know, we still have that lineage story of Max Fried, Lucas Giolito, and Jack Flaherty from their high school days all have pitched together. I think, we'll, 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 I think we will remember the Painter-Ferris link for the next 10, 15 years here if we can get um, some health from both of those individuals. I have a, another lefty on the list and a guy that's getting a little bit more buzz, I think, than Ferris, but that's Noah Schultz for the Chicago White Sox. Very big frame at 6'9", 220, also 20 years old, also a left-handed pitcher. He was a first-round pick, 26 overall in 2022, same draft as Ferris. 55-grade fastball, 65-grade slider. That is incredible for a high school arm. I want to note that almost a 70 out of high school is almost unheard of um 50 change up 50 control 2023 numbers 27 innings only 10 games 38 k's six walks not bad 133 era a 0.85 whip you have big injury concerns and i agree um you have a couple things listed here i will let you talk about that and what do you think of schultz I love Schultz on his frame. I love his arsenal. I love what he can do. I don't love with what it comes with. And that's big injury concerns. Last year, he started the year out with a forearm strain that took him out from April 5th to June 2nd. Then he came back, pitched 10 games, only 27 innings. That comes up to 2.7 innings per game. That's not good at all. Um, and then August 13th, he goes out with a shoulder impingement. So you talk about a 65-grade slider. Love that, but I don't love what it's doing to his body. That is screaming to me he's going to have injury concerns and he's not going to be able to take on a full starter's workload, and he's also destined to be in the bullpen for, yet again, another White Sox pitcher. So these White Sox pitchers, man, we didn't even talk about Jake Etter, but he also has injury concerns. They have they love these injury pitchers that have big command, and I see them all being in the bullpen or swingmen. Well, and you know, this is this is just me kind of bantering here, but there's a new regime. You know, my number one priority, if I had a plethora of these talented arms with injury concern, would be to bring in some of the best medical professionals that are utilizing modern technology. Try and find the body metrics. Try and understand what is was really impeding these players. You know, no pun intended with the impingement because. We, I know that well, um, but if, but if you can bring the right people in now and really start to cater to the Edders and to the Schultzes, you can start to build really good organizational depth as you start to figure out how to develop these guys more and more because the talent is there for Schultz and the talent is there for Edder, you know, coming over from Miami, correct? From the yes. Jake Berger deal. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I don't think we have any concerns about the arm talent. It's just, can he 
stay healthy? Can they both really find the control that's going to allow them to see 90th percentile out, out, uh, outcome? But I agree. He has absolute ace level potential with those grades and that stature, the velocity. But you're right. The concern is health. So another guy that I think is probably harder to acquire than some of the other guys on this list because he is young and we have seen flashes. But, um, you know, I, I do think we have a really high outcome here. So we're just going to continue with these young arms. Uh, I've got three more names for you before we wrap. Next on the list is Charlie, um, Charlie Soto, Minnesota. He was 34th overall in this past draft. Another high school arm. Great stature. 6'3", 210, 18 years old. Coming out with grades of a 60-grade fastball, 55 slider, 50 changeup, 50 control. Can sit 98, can touch 100. Um, you have noted here his command is better than his grade. I think youth is really important to put into the equation here when we're talking about these grades as well as we both know. What do you have for Charlie Soto? Yeah, I mean, you hit on pretty much all that I have. I liked Charlie Soto coming out of the draft. I thought he was one of these command pitchers, the ones that I like a lot. I thought he would go much higher. He ultimately went 34th. I was expecting him to go in around the 20th range, like kind of paired up with Waldrip where he went. So it was a little bit of a surprise that he um, fell a little bit, but he gets a 50 grade control grade. I would argue that it'd be closer to 60 just based on everything that there is on him. And yeah, there's there's nothing yet on him for statistics. Um, he hasn't made his pro debut, so... I like what I'm seeing from Charlie Soto and uh, look forward to his future. Yeah. And it's hard because it's, when I say it's hard, it's, it's hard to really again, gauge these controls because they're 18 years old. And as we've spoken on before, all you've really got to do when you have this kind of ability and talent in high school is just, just throw the ball. <laughs> they're going to swing. They're going to miss. Um, and, I think really Soto, though, this is one of the most exciting classes, I think, from high school that I've seen in recent years. And it might just be because we've done so much re so much research. But Thomas White, Soto, uh, Noble Meyer, Sycora, the next name that we're going to talk about. There's a lot of young kids to really, really enjoy keeping an eye on in 2024. Soto, though, the only downside is I didn't love the placement of the Minnesota Twins. They haven't done a very good job. They haven't done a good job at all in developing pitching prospects. So I'm really hoping that with the arm talent of Soto, this will be one of the first pitchers that they can really develop at a high tier level. And we don't have to have the same knock on them as we've had before. But Minnesota is not known for creating the best. And it's been almost, well, hell, it's probably been 30, 20 years since we saw Johan Santana. Um, and that's, that's a while. Next name is also a high schooler. How ironic. Uh, Blake Walters, Kansas City. First, uh, second round pick, excuse me. First round talent, second round pick. 44th overall in this past draft. 6'4", 210, 65-grade fastball, 55 slider, 45 changeup, 50 control, much like Soto with the control. And the reason he's on the list is because he is starting to pick up buzz. Uh, he was seen throwing 100 miles an hour this past week. I think that's just really ramp up. That's really kind of, uh, you know, get out there and show us exactly what you have. But he is in the same bag for me as Soto. I think Kansas City a much better landing spot. And what, with what Kansas City is really developing now is the next wave, the wave that's going to be here in three years to really start to help Bobby Witt. And I think Walters has number one upside in that rotation. 
maybe number two in a fantasy ro- uh, fantasy roster or rotation, but Blake Walters for me is exactly in the same bag as Soto. I think he's probably just a tick behind with his overall ability of Soto. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like Blake Walters. Um, I was reading up a little bit on him before the podcast comes out of Illinois. He gets comparisons to Bobby Miller, who also came out of Illinois just for his physicality and stature. Now, is Blake Walters going to be Bobby Miller? No, I do not think so whatsoever. Bobby Miller has amazing stuff grades on all of his pitches and has a much deeper arsenal. Blake Walters, in my mind, is a two-pitch pitcher currently with his fastball slider. He does have that changeup, but I don't see him throwing it that much. I think he needs to develop that changeup and possibly a fourth pitch if he wants to continue to stay a starter, but he definitely has the ceiling and the upside that you listed as being a number one or two it's just can he develop that third pitch and continue on with his command and velocity? But I like everything you said on Blake Walters. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, comparison with with Bobby Miller also coming out of the state of Illinois. And you know, Miller went to Louis Louisville, and he had the ability to develop those three years at Louisville. And, and Walters coming into the league now, you know, is going to be developed in those three years at the minor league level. So it is up to the Kansas city Royals to really pull everything out of him. I think you're right. I think Bobby Miller is a special talent, but I think there is an Avenue and a ceiling for Walters to maybe touch uh, the performance that Miller gives. If I think Walters can even be Bobby Miller in Bobby Miller's rookie season. I'm very, very, very happy with that. If that's the guy you're getting, which is, you know, sitting around a four ERA with high strikeout ability, and can go out and, and dominate any single game. I'm happy with that, but you're right. He has to add something to the arsenal. And again, what, let's see what Kansas city can do there. Um, all right. I've got one last name. We have no notes because, uh, I didn't get that far. Is, and it's okay. This is a guy that I literally had to scrap for when I was trying to do my, uh, my dynasty I, tiers for pitching. I got the overview though. If you want me to take it over. Yeah, I, I I do as well, but please uh, jump oh, in, yeah, and I'll just it, I'll just um, let's see here. Josh Steven is going to be our Stefan. Are we going Stefan? Whatever you want. I'm going to go Josh Stefan. I like that. And if it's Steven, I'm really sorry, Josh. <laughs> um, Josh Stefan is the last name. 22 years old, six three, one eighty five. Nice frame. This is Texas Rangers organization. Had a really really nice 2023. Six and three, two thirty ERA. 30, uh, 13 total games pitched, 12 started, 66 innings, 78 strikeouts with a 0.84 whip. That was split between two different levels. That was high A, double A. In double A, he only pitched one game, so it really was a high A season. But he's entering age 22 season, and I think we could have a very exciting fifth man in the rotation for Texas, maybe end of season going into 2025. And this is a guy almost no one is talking about as well. I think there's a really, really high upside here. I don't know about the grades. Um, I can probably kind of look that up while you're talking, but this is a guy that I think I scrounged for and I'm I'm getting excited about. Yeah, so he was um, not drafted, but he was signed out of that 2020 COVID yep. season. So they had five rounds and then there was an extended signing period for high schoolers outside of that. He happened to be one of them signed with the Rangers. So you also have to take his beginning stats with a grain of salt because that COVID year affected everybody and everybody's development. But I liked how he's um, 
moved up levels each year from 2021 to 2023 and improved on everything. So he went from a 5 one eight ERA in 2021 to a 3-1-4 in 2022. And then last year down to a 2.3 ERA. He's got three pitches that are graded at uh, average or above with this fastball slider and change. Decent control. Love to see that. Actually, he's got phenomenal control. I don't know what I'm talking about. He had only 13 walks in 66 and two-third innings last year. Only 31 walks in 103 innings the year before that. So he's improving on his command, improving on his strikeout rate. His whip was 0.84 last year. That's phenomenal. Anything under 1.2 in my mind is great. 1.0 on the dot is what I shoot for. So anything under one is phenomenal. So Josh Steven, I've known about him, heard about him, but haven't had him on my radar until you put him on this list. So thank you for that. Um, You've uncovered the rock on Josh Steven for me (laughs) or Stefan. So um, yeah, somebody I'm going to be having my watch list. Um, I'll take a look in our deeper dynasty leagues. If you haven't already added him, maybe I'll uh, find a spot for him. So I've got some grades. Um, it's interesting. BA has him at 25 overall in the Texas organization coming into 2024. MLB.com had him 15th for the 2023 season. I would just imagine that that is the um, integration of a lot of really high-end talent that Texas has brought in over the last year with international signings as well as Wyatt Langford in the draft class. But MLB.com is giving him a 50 fastball, a 55 slider, a 55 changeup, a 55 control, 45 overall, just the disrespect. <laughs> and I and I think it's because he was unsigned out of that 2020 COVID draft. And there's a lot of unknowns about a lot of these prospects, especially the prep prospects coming out of that season, because we had so much lost time and we had such a lack of um, competition and performance. But absolutely love this name. I think, again, he's a, he's a guy kind of like um, Burchard to follow. Uh, if I even said, you know, our boy's name correctly, Burchard, I did say it. Wow, here we go. I'm, You're I'm getting better. You're getting better. Um, but okay, Josh Stevens last on the list. I have to go. I have to go to work. So I am so sorry, but we will not have more college breakdowns for you guys today. We will next week. Uh, and that's all I have. Richie, anything else? No, we'll see you guys next week. Take care, guys. 